When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone. This is Conrad Fisher. You're listening to the Inside the Boards podcast series. Welcome back, Boards Insiders. I'm Elizabeth Beeman, and I have another microbiology episode for you today. I have a little bit of a hoarse voice, but I have a really great episode for you, so please excuse that. And let's get started. The question is, a 25-year-old patient with no known history is brought to the emergency department by police who found him wandering the streets naked. Patient is disinhibited, repeatedly undressing, and refusing to keep his clothing on. Vital signs show a blood pressure of 123 over 70, heart rate of 95, temperature of 102.1, and a respiratory rate of 17. Physical examination reveals a patient with a left facial droop and ataxic gait. The patient's speech is pressured. He's confused and says, I'm the king of the museum. I'm president of the world. Fingers to glucose is 100. Urine drug screen is negative for cocaine, THC, amphetamines, and opiates. Serum ethanol is negative. Head CT is pending. Lumbar puncture in the emergency room is significant for lymphocytic pleocytosis, increased number of erythrocytes, and elevated protein, with a glucose within normal range for CSF. Which of the following conditions? is most associated with the most likely causative organism affecting this patient. Answer choices are A. Endocarditis B. Gingivostomatitis C. Dermatologic gumas or D. Otitis media And the correct answer is B. Gingivostomatitis So, let's think about this question and what the first causative organism is that we're talking about. So we have a patient with an unknown history, urine drug screens all negative, doesn't have elevated glucose. That's something that we might be thinking about if we didn't know the patient's history. Maybe they're in diabetic ketoacidosis. Doesn't have alcohol in his blood and his vital signs are generally okay, except for he is showing a fever of 102.1, but he's hemodynamically stable with a normal blood pressure, slightly elevated heart rate, but, but still normal, and pretty normal respiratory rate of 17. He's very disinhibited. So things we might be thinking of, just based on that disinhibited pressured speech picture, you're going to be thinking, obviously, about a psychiatric disorder. At least it should be on the differential. Definitely want to rule out medical causes first. And we would be thinking about like a first break, maybe a manic episode, or maybe since we don't know the history, maybe this patient has a history of mania, that kind of thing. 
But we get a little bit more suspicious by the fact that he also has a fever right now. He's got a left facial droop. That doesn't go with a primary psychiatric disorder. And a toxic gait. So he's not able to walk properly. Left side of his face isn't moving. He's got a fever. They go ahead and do a lumbar puncture. And he has a lymphocytic pleocytosis. So he's increased lymphocytes in the CSF and an increased number of erythrocytes, increased protein, and this is the key here, a normal glucose. So when we think of our lumbar puncture results and we're thinking of what are we really looking for? Well, we're looking for signs of meningitis. We're looking for signs in a lumbar puncture that the patient might have an infection in the central nervous system. We could also be looking for a hemorrhage. We can see blood. We could be looking for cancer. But primarily with this presentation, we're looking for an infection. This patient has the elevated protein, does have elevated lymphocytes, which we, which we will associate with a viral infection rather than a bacterial infection, and a normal glucose for CSF. The cerebrospinal fluid does have a normal amount of glucose in it, during a bacterial meningitis, this glucose should be expected to be actually decreased. You can think the bacteria is actually using the glucose for energy to duplicate and replicate. So in this patient, we're thinking this is probably a viral meningitis. And then we have a very specific presentation for the viral meningitis where this patient is very disinhibited. To give a little bit more clues, these patients can be very sexually inappropriate. They can have hyperorality, hyperphagia. We see this as part of the syndrome called Kluver-Busey syndrome. And what it is is bilateral amygdala lesions. So it makes sense why lesions to the amygdala would cause those kind of behavioral issues. But we see this as an association with an HSV-1 encephalitis. So it's a viral encephalitis, so it fits our CSF findings. But we also will see patients to have things like paralysis. They may look like they have a, had a stroke. They can have seizures, really any focal neurologic signs. But the most common um, being this presentation where their behavioral issues very disinhibited and bilateral amygdala lesions being the pathology for this with HSV-1 encephalitis being the causative organism. So when we know that HSV-1 is the, or HSV is the causative organism, then which of our options does HSV also cause frequently? And we had endocarditis, gingivostomatitis, dermatologic gumas, or otitis media. The answer is, of course, gingivostomatitis. The gingivostomatitis associated with herpes, HSV1, herpes simplex virus 1, um, is a painful swollen gum syndrome. The mucous membranes will also be swollen. It will have the vesicles that are classic to be seen with any herpes virus. Fever and systemic symptoms can also be, be present. And this is a disease that usually lasts several weeks. And you will diagnose this based on the clinical picture. You'll see the patient with the vesicles, uh, again, on the gums and mucous membranes. And that is concerning for the diagnosis of herpes, uh, gingivostomatitis. 
Let's talk a little bit more about herpes viruses. So we have herpes simplex virus 1. We have herpes simplex virus 2. We have varicella zoster virus, which we have talked about before in another episode, so we won't talk as much about it here, but just to know that like the other herpes viruses, it's in the same family and it is a enveloped, double-stranded, and linear virus. We also have Epstein-Barr virus, which is also called HHV4. Remember, Epstein-Barr virus is the one that causes mononucleosis. Mono is commonly termed the kissing bug, but what you need to remember is that fever is a big problem with mono and that hepatosplenomegaly is a big concern because these patients are at increased risk for splenic rupture and should avoid, especially during the resolving phase of this illness, should avoid contact sports and things where they're likely to have high impact. Also, Epstein-Barr virus is good to know for step one because of the association with lymphomas, like Burkitt's lymphoma specifically, and then also nasopharyngeal cancers. Epstein-Barr virus, again, it's HHV4, is a virus that infects B cells through CD21 and can be tested for with a monospot test, which is a heterophile antibody test that detects agglutination of sheep or horse red blood cells. The atypical lymphocytes of mono are seen on peripheral blood smears. Cytomegalovirus or HHV5 is another one of our herpes viruses. We think about CMV a lot because it is one of our torch infections. Congenital uh, transfusion can occur. Uh, can also be transmitted through sexual contact or saliva. It causes a mononucleosis type picture but has a negative monospot because it is not mono in immunocompromised patients specifically. Especially can cause pneumonia in like transplant patients. In an AIDS patient, CMV actually will cause a retinitis. And if you'll remember this, the pathology is that the infected cells have characteristic owl eye inclusions. Human herpes virus 6 is transmitted by saliva, and it's also called roseola infantum. This involves high fevers for several days that can lead to seizures in tiny babies and is followed by a diffuse macular rash. To talk specifically about our causative organism herpes again, remember that herpes can be identified with viral culture if it's present on skin or genitalia. A CSF PCR for herpes encephalitis is what is clinically indicated for the patient that we have in the vignette. However, because that can take time to come back, we start empirically treating the patient when we have this suspicion for this viral uh, infection, this viral encephalitis. We just start treating them right away with a cyclovir, and this is actually one of the treatable forms of encephalitis. So, very good to get treatment started as soon as possible. While we definitely think of herpes as being herpes simplex 1 and herpes simplex 2 as being most associated with the vesicles and cold sores in in the herpes simplex 1 or the canker sores of the mouth and in herpes simplex 2 genital ulcers and vesicles, we can actually see either one of these affecting either area. So there can be oral lesions 
that are due to HSV2. There can be genital lesions that are due to HSV1, but there's also other things caused by HSV1 and 2. For example, erythema multiform is associated with previous HSV infection. We also can see esophagitis as a primary infection with herpes simplex virus, especially though we'll see this as a reactivation of herpes in immunocompromised patients, such as patients with AIDS. Now, we've been talking a lot about a clinical picture that relates pretty well to encephalitis. Encephalitis is associated very strongly with HSV-1. Meningitis is associated a little bit more strongly with HSV-2. Remember, encephalitis is inflammation of the brain, and meningitis is inflammation and infection of the meninges. So back to the testing for herpes, remember that SANK, T-Z-A-N-C-K, ZANK test is done in order to detect multinucleated giant cells that are commonly seen in a smear of these open skin vesicles that you can find in herpes lesions. And you would see these with HSV-1, HSV-2, and actually also zoster, varicella zoster um, viral infection. Intranuclear inclusions are also seen with all three of these viruses. And remember that herpes is also one of our torches infections. It can pass from mother to baby, most often during delivery from genital lesions that are present at the time of birth and will most often present with the painful, pruritic, vesicles that we associated with HSV2. However, it is at an increased risk of progressing to something like encephalitis, which is the reason that we worry about it in newborns. To address our wrong answer choices, A, endocarditis. You might have chosen endocarditis if you correctly identified that this patient had some kind of infectious central nervous system process going on and that you thought that this was a bacterial infection, which we know it wasn't because the glucose was normal in the CSF. Maybe you thought it was, and maybe you thought it was caused by strep viridens. Strep viridens is a group B strep that does cause endocarditis. In fact, we think of it more with patients with recent dental surgeries because strep viridens is found in the oral mucosa. Uh, It is actually the most common cause of meningitis in babies. This patient is not a baby, also not consistent with a bacterial meningitis in the clinical presentation. But if we had had these things in the vignette, maybe that would have been the right answer. Gingivostomatitis was the correct answer. We talked about that. Herpes encephalitis is what, is what our diagnosis was. Choice C, dermatologic gumas. We know gumas are from syphilis. Neurosyphilis does occur in about 8% of untreated cases. Neurosyphilis presents a little bit differently though. So a patient with neurosyphilis or a vignette that might have described a patient with neurosyphilis might have described someone with either a normal patient who got a cerebrospinal fluid that tests positive for syphilis. Sometimes they are asymptomatic. More often we have a subacute kind of meningitis picture. They have like the fever, stiff neck, headache, that we associate with meningitis. And that CSF analysis would show the high lymphocytes, high protein, but most importantly, the low glucose and a positive syphilis test if we also got that. 
as an aside, Treponema pallidum and Mycobacterium tuberculosis are two of the bacteria that cause a subacute meningitis with a predominance of lymphocytes. So even though most bacterial meningitis will cause an elevated neutrophil count, we do have these two, Treponema and Mycobacterium tuberculosis, that can infect the meninges and actually lead to a CSF that has a predominance of lymphocytes. It's kind of an important difference to remember. So how would we tell the difference between that and a viral infection? Even with treponema pallidum and mycobacterium tuberculosis, you're going to expect to see the decreased glucose that you don't see with viral infections. And then choice D was tabustor salis. Another presentation of neurosyphilis can be a meningovascular syphilis where the spirochetes that are in syphilis basically latch onto our blood vessels in the brain and the meninges, think about the circle of Willis, and cause basically strokes, uh, infarction of nerve tissue in the brain, spinal cord, meninges, anywhere. These people can have all kinds of different neurologic impairments. And then another presentation that we can see for neurosyphilis is tabustor salis. Tabustor salis is kind of the classic textbook one we think about that affects the spinal cord and specifically the posterior column and dorsal roots. Patients with tabustor salis are going to present with progressive sensory ataxia, like impaired proprioception, very poor coordination. And you also will associate tabustor salis with the Charcot joints shooting pain in the Argyle-Robertson pupils. Remember, Argyle-Robertson pupils accommodate, but they don't react. A patient with tabes dorsalis may have a physical exam with no deep tendon reflexes and a positive Romberg sign. And our last answer choice was otitis media. You could be thinking otitis media if you thought the causative organism was streptomonia. Streptomonia does cause meningitis and bacterial pneumonia in adults. But again, we would expect the decreased glucose in the CSF. And it's certainly not one of the ones where we would see a lymphocytic pleocytosis most commonly. We would expect an elevated neutrophil count instead. So otitis media, not the most common complication associated with herpes, but it is a complication, obviously, an infection type associated with strep pneumonia. Well, that is all for our herpes episode, and I will see you again soon. Bye-bye.